Hey, you. Yeah, you. Are you into weird shit? Yeah? You into cryptids? What about hauntings? Yeah, I've got a ghost for you. Oh, you like overworld beings. Me too. Check out all these aliens. We have plenty. How do you feel about a good legend? Want to hear about spooky happenings? Yeah, you do. Let us show you what we've got. Hey guys, grab a drink and join us, Amanda and Sean, every week while we dive into the strange and haunting topics that have piqued our interest. See you over at The Haunted and the Strange, wherever you get your podcasts. Stay spooky. Brain sale. Obviously, the one that we share between us. It's like the eye from Hercules with the muses yeah. where they just pass it around. We're like, here, you want to use the brain cell right now? Cool, I'm going to use it. Sometimes we split it in half so we both can use it. That's exactly what's happening right now. We're just, we're, we're failing to communicate with the one brain cell we, we have. We are all vibes. No thoughts, just vibes. <laughs> Oh, we're starting 2024 off strong. Here we go. All right. Oh, my gosh. I don't think we're going to talk too much this week because I have have a whole case and a half. Case and a half. It's a whole to-do. Jeez. We were talking on our Patreon, which, in case you don't know, we do additional bonus content on Patreon, so you get, like, a longer form of this shit. Um, as well as like a whole intro that we record just for you. But I was talking about how I was like, yeah, I think I'm done with notes as I'm scrolling through these notes. And then I was found another article and a documentary and I'm like, well, I have to add these. They make good (laughs) points. What am I going to do? Not add them? It's like that TikTok uh, sound. I'm just going to get one. Just just one. I mean, well, I have to get it a friend. I mean, I might as well get three, you know, might as well get the whole set <laughs> already there. My mind also went, go to the store, buy a bottle of hoisin sauce, go to the fridge. Oh, no, <laughs> a bottle of hoisin sauce, go to the store. What? <laughs> Have you not heard this one? No. The, the amount of times you look at me like I am losing my mind. <laughs> Off of the things I tell you because that I see you're on my Because you're constantly losing your mind. That's not the point. The point is that <laughs> keep looking at me like I am. And I thought you were my best friend. You were supposed to be supportive. Well, at least I'm not the only one. <laughs> you know what? 
You know what? I saw something on Facebook the other day that says, this year, Mayor DeLulu become Trululu. I love it. Oh, my God. I want that on a shirt. That's going to be my new phone lock screen. I ooh, I want glitter with it. Like, oh, my God. I, oh I'm going to make it. Mm-hmm. This is happening. And also, in case you heard the voice in the background, we have a guest star in the pod lab. Woohoo. Mama Lucy. Come make a comment. Huh? Come make a comment. Okay, Jess, you're probably my daughter, not Jen. <laughs> wow. I mean, to be fair, I am adopted, so could be. <laughs> she told me, you're just like Jess. See, that's why I'm saying this, because I was listening to something. And, oh! um, there, go ahead, Jenny, say it. Go ahead. Here, here, Jen, you say it. She's just dying to tell you anyway. I like that we're like, we're just going to have a cute little intro. And now Jenny is losing her fucking mind. Speak. Okay. Because we were watching TV together last Uh night. Okay. And she got me into this really good series on Netflix. And. Oh, the one that you were talking about the other day. Okay. Okay. So we're watching that. But I'm noticing she has her headphone in. And I can hear what is playing in her headphone. And I'm like, are you listening to a podcast? <laughs> and she goes, uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, but but we're watching TV. She goes, I need something else in my ear playing to concentrate Jenny, on the TV. where's my favorite place to edit our podcast? <laughs> Where is my favorite? place? <laughs> I like to go to a brewery on a busy Friday evening <laughs> to edit the podcast. But, but I was Not only a busy brewery, but with her headphone in, like, full blast listening to our chaos. Like, honestly, I'm sure if she could, she would have the other headphone playing, playing music. <laughs> Probably some, like, lo-fi music. Like... <laughs> No, that's the reason why you like to go with the live band. <laughs> See, exactly. That's what I do. If I'm, if 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 I'm writing, I want to hear the music in the background, but I want the TV on or something in my ear, so I can. But I want it like a different language, uh-huh. so that this way I can concentrate on my writing and not on all the other noise in the background, which is like trees and birds and yeah. all that. I I understand. I understand. Okay, so 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 this is like Spotify had their Spotify wrapped up that came out recently and my siblings were like, "How many hours did you spend on Spotify?" And my sister was like in the hundreds. Mm-hmm. My brother was like and it's like by minutes. My sister was like 600 minutes. My brother was like 1200 minutes. Mhm. Is that 12, like 12,000? Because <laughs> I always have my headphones in. Okay, well, so YouTube sends me something because I'm always on YouTube. Because mm-hmm. Jenny, even Jenny says, do you always have to have? But, okay, so here's the thing. I kind of get the science part of her brain when she said it ha- like it helps if it's something that's in a different language. Because... To be fair, right, right. That's Mm -hmm. what I'm saying. When you're writing 
um, which is uh, she's bilingual. Her Mm -hmm. first language is Spanish. That's stored in a completely different hemisphere of your brain than what your creative brain is. Okay. So So for me, I like to do lo-fi when I'm doing something that I need to concentrate on because I can zone out on the pretty, pretty sounds and not have to focus on everything else going around. (laughs) I can zone out on that and then easily do what I'm needing to do in front of me. Yeah, so long story short, my mother has undiagnosed ADHD (laughs) and refuses to acknowledge it and her thought is her thought is what does it matter i'm 62 years old (laughs) i've already learned how to person it's fine no she has the worst coping mechanisms ever what when we're driving and we Uh get in the car okay she's trying to talk to me but i see a sunset i go can you stop at the next stop full stop so i can take a picture but then i forget what she's talking about (laughs) All right. Well, if you like whatever the fuck this is, be sure to head over to our Instagram. Our Instagram is WTF is that podcast over there. You will find the link to our link tree. Our link tree houses our Amazon wish list, our Spotify playlist, our campfire submission stories, as well as our Patreon. Over on Patreon, you can join patrons like Melanie at our Mystic Mentor level. Over there, you can find all kinds of goodies like extra long versions of the show, private chats with Jen and I, as well as getting to pick out a topic for future episodes. So again, you can find all of that and more over on our link tree on our Instagram, which is WTF is that pod. And with that, let's get into this case, and uh, it's a long doozy, so let's go. Hey, Jen. Hey, Jess. Have you heard of Kitty Genovese? Who the fuck is Kitty Genovese? Thanks for asking, I'd love to tell you! Oh, gosh. So, our main lady of the evening is Catherine Kitty Genovese, who was born July 7th, 1935, in Brooklyn, New York, to Vincent and Rachel Genovese. Hmm. I love the name Vincent. Vincent? Vincent. Hmm. I, don't, I like those V names. Maybe that's just because I've been rewatching BoJack Horseman, and Vincent is the name of the three kids in a trench coat. <laughs> Vincent adult man so Vincent and Rachel were actually Italian immigrants who had immigrated to Brooklyn okay they're both of her parents owned businesses and she was the oldest of five children wow five that's a lot of kids but I feel like for the time with an immigrant family it's like the Irish that's fair. Five is about the average number for that time. That sounds about right. That's fair. That's just, to me, a lot of kids. It. No one said it wasn't a lot. I'm just <laughs> saying it was pretty damn average. <laughs> fair. Fair. Uh, yeah. No. I... No. It's, I mean, I want four kids, so it's... I'm okay with... Honestly, I'd be okay with one and two the most. 
So the Genovese family lived in a four-family row home that was mainly Irish and Italian working class, like, in the neighborhood in Brooklyn. Yeah. Which was just, like, a common thing. Yeah. You just set up neighborhoods near people who are from the same place that you are. Typically, yeah. I mean, like, sense of home, I guess. Exactly. Yeah, every area has them. Like, I live in a very Hispanic-dominant side of town, so... Well, especially during this time, because it's... Kitty was born in 1935, so this is around that time, 1930s, 1940s. Yeah. Where that's just kind of how it was, and there was, like, a deep sentiment of dislike. Yes. For these groups of people also. Yes. They were outcasted, so... They stuck stuck together. I say as the Irish in the room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Kitty was known for her energy and her zest for life. She actually went to an all-girls school in Brooklyn. Oh. Called Prospect Heights. <laughs> How fabulous of a name. It just sounds like something in a... Uh, like those... Uh, fantasy books like a ya novel yeah yes i want to write that now you want to there are so many books you are supposed to be writing that i've given you topics for i have i don't think you understand and i've started them i don't think you understand (laughs) all of them yes really i start a lot of them dude and i I just don't finish them you book topics so a lot of the time i'll combine them into like one whole thing like you'll send uh-huh. me three or four and i'm like well obviously this is one cohesive story uh-huh and i've done like that before okay i have a lot interesting yeah i maybe i should finish one of them maybe yeah i'm not I a bad like, writer you're not it's <laughs> <laughs> so maybe i'll know. do the pirate one first okay I think I've told you about that one. It's going to be sapphic. Yes. There's a they, them. Yes. They turn into mermaids at one point. Yes. It's going to be great. (laughs) All I had to say was sapphic and everyone's like, yes, give us sapphic pirates. (laughs) Anyways, back to this, which is also on brand for this, as we'll find out. Okay, cool. (laughs) Jesus. Okay. We're unhinged tonight. I told you, I'm drinking wine while recording this. I don't know what's going to happen. I've never done this. I'm usually done with my wine by the time we're done with the opener. So, Oh, God. Kitty excelled in music and English. She was extremely popular, Ooh. charming, and just fucking gorgeous. Oh. Like, pictures of her, like, oh, yes. <laughs> like, stunning girl, work it. And I just, to be extremely popular at an all-girls school, I feel like is a feat. Because girls are catty bitches. They are. Which is the reason why, like, I don't know, sometimes I have that mentality of the popular girl at an all-girls school is kind of a bitch. Yeah, but I also feel like maybe for at the time they had to be, like, less of a bitch. I guess. I don't know. I don't know. I wasn't there during that time. Kitty's cool as fuck. In 1954, her mother witnessed a horrific murder that actually prompted her to move the family out of Brooklyn and to New Canaan, Connecticut. Oh, my God. 
But how ironic considering the story that we're talking about today. Yeah. But oh my God. Like yeah. to experience that in front of you. And just to like be like, nope, I'm out. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, it's insane. So very clearly she at this point was like, nope, I am not having my family Anywhere here anymore yeah. and decided to move them to Connecticut. All right. However, Kitty had just graduated from high school and decided to not follow her family to the suburbs. Oh, okay. So instead, she stayed in the city with her grandparents because she was going to marry her at-the-time boyfriend, Rocco Anthony... I'm going to try. <laughs> okay. Fazolari? That sounds, sounds about right. right. Who was an army officer and engineer. Rocco? Rocco. That's such an Italian immigrant name. Yeah, but also, like, they started dating when she was in high school and he was in college already. Mm, red which, flag. Which, like, why was that a thing during that time? I don't know. I don't know. Don't do that. So very clearly, she didn't want to move to Connecticut because obviously she's going to get married to her hunk of a long-term boyfriend, army engineer man, Rocco. Okay. Still such a funny name. Sorry. I mean, fuck it. That's... (laughs) The two were married on October 31st, 1954, which again, we would have fucking loved Kitty. A Halloween wedding? Are you shitting me? I absolutely love that. I want to have my wedding on Halloween or on Dia de los Muertos, which is November 2nd. That's also my mom's birthday. Ooh, but I could see it already. But she said she's okay with me doing, so, you know, we'll figure that out. I'm sorry but... to whoever you marry, but I already have it planned in my head for you, so you guys have to do nothing. Okay, but I also <laughs> wanted a masquerade theme if we do Dia de los Muertos. Done. Okay, Adjusted great. for. Mental noted. Okay. <laughs> I hope you know the colors that I like, too. Yep. Do you? It's going to be a majority of a black and white color scheme with, like, gold flecks thrown in and marigolds. Okay. I'd also like some navy blue in there, but we'll we can see. do that. Okay. We could do that instead of the black. Yeah. We could do like a navy and we could do like an off white. Yeah. With um we could also do like a gunmetal gray that's pretty close to black with the marigolds. Yeah. I like that. Done. You're welcome. <laughs> See, I know. <laughs> so well, we think Kitty's cool. Rocco Absolutely. probably didn't. What? The marriage was soon annulled. And the two were divorced in 1956. So they had literally only been married for like maybe two years. Okay. Why? Was he cheating? No. You'll see. Okay. You'll see. So in the late 1950s, Kitty ended up moving into her own apartment in Brooklyn She was working at the time as a bartender. She had done a little bit of work as a secretary before that, Mm -hmm. but it just wasn't her jam, which fair office work isn't for everyone, babe. Yeah, definitely not for me. In August of 1961, she was actually arrested for bookmaking. 
what? So I don't know if you thought what I did, but I'm like, was she like making books that were banned? Like what was, what does this mean? I had to look it up. I'm assuming something financial. It's essentially like being a bookie. So like taking bets on different things. It was her and her friend D. And again, I'm going to try real hard with this name. Okay. Gutenieri? Sounds right. Gartnery? Sure. Sure. Her friend D. Her and her buddy D. They had been taking bets on horse races from bar patrons at the bar that Kitty was bartending at. Oh. They ended up being charged $50, but because of this, Kitty also lost her job at that bar. Oh, man. Which, understandable. Like, I... (laughs) Yeah. You know, maybe don't do that at your job. Yeah, maybe, like, not the best plan you had in mind, but, like, pop off, we love an event of Queen. Yeah, exactly. Kitty was very clearly headstrong and hardworking. She kind of had a ton of different jobs before settling into a bar manager position at Eve's 11th hour in Hollis, Queens. Okay. What a cool name. It's interesting, for sure. I like it. The owner was just kind of not around. So Kitty did everything for this bar, from payroll to hours to running it to making sure the maintenance was done to ordering. Girl ran it. Cool. We love that. So she was just reliable and hardworking. And because of her consistently doing these double shifts and going above and beyond... She was earning an income of $750 a month, which in like today's dollars yeah. is about $7,500 oh, wow. a month. Wow. She was saving up for her life's dream to open her own Italian restaurant. Aww. How wholesome. That's really cute. I just love Kitty. I love it. So much. So by this point, she's just getting badgered by her family. They're like, why haven't you settled down? Why haven't you found a man? Why don't you have any children yet? Especially after her failed marriage with Rocco and her family being an Italian immigrant family. They're like, what's going on? Like, I hate those types of questions. But for the times, it makes sense. I mean, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. It's weird that she... Is just living in Queens, working as a bartender, and that's it. Yeah. You know? I guess. I get it. Kitty had the best response, though, of all time. She said, no man could support me because I make more than a man. Oh. Pop off queen. Nice. I just, we love a strong, resilient queen. She may have just used this as an easy excuse, though, because on March 13th, 1963, Kitty met Mary Ann. I'm going to try again. Okay. Again, these names are hard. (laughs) Zolanko? Sure. Sure. She met Mary Ann at (laughs) Swingers Rendezvous, an underground lesbian bar in Greenwich Village. 
Okay. So now we see why her marriage did not work out. Yeah. Cool. We love that. Love this for her. We love a gay queen. The the couple quickly fell in love and decided to move in together. They found a second floor apartment next to the Long Island Railroad Station and Kew Gardens, a neighborhood in Queens. So this was a cute little second story flat and it was one of 14 similar units and with these ones, it was one of the ones that it's like an apartment flat on top and then the bottom's all storefronts. Oh, okay. So it was like a whole big row of yeah. apartments like that on top of stores. On March 13th, 1964, Kitty was leaving work at the bar at 2.30 a.m. on the couple's one-year anniversary. Aww. She was driving home after a late shift and at a stop, she pulled up next to Winston Mosley, mm. which is ironic because it's also my last name, but it's spelt differently. <laughs> <laughs> so Winston Mosley is the only child of Fanny and Al Mosley. Fanny constantly cheated on Al oh. repeatedly, like did not give a shit. Okay. At one point... Al was trying to get Fanny to come back, and she agreed to come back and remain married to him, but insisted on also keeping a lover. What? Yeah. And sends Winston to go live with his grandparents, essentially, while he go chases his mom. Okay. Yeah, so Al catches up with Fanny and is like, hey, girl, I still love you. And she goes, I guess you're cool, too, so we can stay married, but I'm going to keep a lover. And Al's like, cool, love that. No girl can be worth that. No. So he brings Fanny back. They're living together. Winston is still living with his grandparents. What? Eventually, Al moves to Michigan and then, like, starts taking care of Winston again. Fanny never seemed to get the need to consider anyone else's feelings but hers. Ew. But sociopath. Yeah. Immediate sociopath. Mm-hmm. Which, isn't that, like, the definition of a sociopath? Is that they don't care about... They can't empathize. Yeah. Yeah. That, which is exactly what this is showing me. Yes. It's like, oh, okay... So his parents ended up separating on again, off again, but his mom was never really in his life. She would kind of pop in and out for extended periods of time. So uh, mommy issues is what I'm saying. Yeah. Severe mommy issues. Yeah, severe. He also at one point as a child had head trauma from getting hit by a streetcar, which I was like, oh, okay. Well, yeah, then. that's fun. So we got mommy issues, abandonment issues because being left at his grandparents. Yep. And then now add a TBI into that. Yeah. At a oh. young age, too. Jeez. When Winston was in his late teens, he learned that Al was not his biological father. Oh, and he found out in the worst way, too. How? Al sprung the news on him during an argument <sighs> when Winston told Al that he wanted to move away from Michigan in order to live closer to his mother. 
because he is a major mama's boy. He yeah. has all of these mommy abandonment issues, but is a big, huge mama's boy and doesn't want to be away from her and does not let anyone say ill of her. Yeah. He didn't know until after he was already in prison, which spoiler alert, he goes to prison. Uh-huh. But his mother told his first wife that his biological father was a former employee of hers who had raped her. Whoa. But, a- but again, this is a narcissist who constantly lies. That's true, too. So who knows? It could have been an employee, but the rape may or may not have happened. It could just not have been an employee. She could have just wanted to say something. Yeah. I don't know. She may not even remember. Yeah. I don't know. No one can know. Yeah. She's. Yeah. Wow. Okay. It's just weird. It never really talks about his first wife, but does mention that he had this weird thing against her. Okay. It. Made very clear to say faithful and devoted a lot when talking about his second wife, which is interesting. Okay. Still got the issues. Still have the issues. But Winston also had a good career and made a comfortable living, owned his own home, and paid child support to his former wife because they had a son together. Okay. He lived with his wife, their new baby, And on occasion, his mommy. Okay. Fanny would bounce back and forth between his house, her lover's apartment, and the home of her husband, Al, because she was still fucking around with Al. Oh, jeez, that poor man. It's insane. I actually read a really good article that I can link And she had a really good rapport with Mosley and was writing him letters while he was in prison. And just the fact that he would defend his mother over and over again, saying things like, she would come if I needed her. No, she wouldn't. Bitch, you needed her your whole life. Yeah. That's kind of how that works. Exactly. So as you can probably figure now, Winston Mosley is the killer in our story. Yeah. This same interviewer had asked him why he did all the evil things he did. And he just seemed to be as at a loss as everyone else. All he knew is that he had developed this uncontrollable urge to harm and kill women. Oh. Yeah. That's all he knew? That's that's all he knew. I have no idea why I harm and kill women. Hmm. Um, but mind you, he also prowled for victims in neighborhoods where his mother had either worked or once lived. Ah, oh, nah, so that shit was premeditated. I just, whether he knew he was doing it or not, it's like, bitch, you don't, you don't see what you're doing there? Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. The fact that, I mean, the fact that other people are also like, I have no idea why he did this. And then you put two and two about his mom and the neighborhoods and you're not like, oh, it's because of the mommy issues. Yeah. And to what? be fair, a lot of killers are not bright. So. Yeah. It's all based off those mommy issues. Insane. 
So now that we have met our victim and we have met our killer, let's get into these case details. All right. So like I said before, Kitty's leaving the bar at around 2.30ish to drive home. She is at a traffic light on Hoover Avenue when she is first spotted by Mosley. He's sitting in a parked car and just happens to see her at the traffic light. Mosley had actually left his wife and two sons asleep in their home in South Ozone Park, Queens at around 1 a.m. to go cruising for a victim. So he had been out there for, he saw Kitty around three. So he had been out there for two hours already. Nope. I don't. That's a yuck. It's the cruising around where I'm like, um, no. Yeah, that's the yuck. No. No, no, no. Yeah. So roughly 45 minutes from the time Kitty departed the bar, she was arriving home and parking her car in the Hugh Gardens Lear parking lot. So there's an alleyway that is just feet from the door of her building. Literally feet. She had to walk from the parking garage to the door to get up to her flat. Oh, In the few steps that she took to walk towards the apartment complex, Mosley exited his vehicle, which he had parked at a bus stop on Austin Street, which is literally like, here's Austin Street, and she was parked here. Yeah. Mosley came up to Kitty with a serrated knife, and she realized what was going on and started to run towards the front of the building. But him being bigger than her quickly overtook her and stabbed her twice in the back. Oh, jeez. With a serrated knife. Yeah, that like, does damage. Oh. Mind you, it's three in the morning. These are shops on the bottom. There's no one there. Yeah. There, it's pitch black. There's like a pharmacy and there's a coffee house. But then everyone else is asleep. Yeah. Nothing else is going on. Yeah. One of Kitty's neighbors, Robert Moser, woke up and saw the struggling going on down below and yelled out leave that girl alone to which Mosley's little bitch ass flees away from the scene and Kitty can be heard yelling oh god he stabbed me help me and started to wake up residents by this point Kitty isn't like mortally wounded yeah she's a little fucked up but she's able to get on her feet and start to make her way to the building's entrance again thinking that Mosley's gone. Like, he's been scared off. Now she can make her Her get away and just get upstairs. Yeah. She makes it inside. She makes it all the way around and to right where the stairs are about to go. Yeah. Before she finally collapses. Oh, okay. So her adrenaline probably started wearing off. Yeah, so she's like in the stairwell when she collapses. Poor baby. Meanwhile, Mosley had driven away, covering his face with a wide brim hat, which I don't know about you, but I just imagine like a grandma sun <laughs> hat, like a big ass like floppy hat. Yeah, I, I'm glad <laughs> I'm not the only one who's thinking of that or like... Like he's running away and it's like bouncing. Either that or those, like, huge, like, wide-brimmed hats that the English royalty wear. 
like they're like for so, a tea. yeah they're like so ostentatious you know like so for whatever reason this dumbass returns 10 minutes later and finds kitty barely conscious in the hallway oh, of the no. stairs now they're out of sight from the neighbors because the stairwell is in the back of the building. Oh, no. When she was first stabbed, they were in the front, yeah. like, where all of the storefronts are. Now they're in the back where the stairwell is. Yeah. And less people seeing. Oh, no. Mosley repeatedly stabs Kitty before raping her and stealing $49 from her wallet. Oh, jeez. Approximately 30 minutes after Mosley first approached Kitty, he fled from the scene, leaving an unconscious Kitty to be discovered by her close friend and neighbor, Sophia Ferrara. Aww. Who ended up holding her in her arms until the ambulance arrived. Aww. Poor baby. So Kitty's neighbor, Carl Ross, ended up phoning the police, and that's when they were able to get the ambulance to come out, and Kitty unfortunately succumbed to her wounds en route to the Queen's General Hospital. Oh, She had actually been picked up by the ambulance by 4.15, so that means between her leaving work... And all of this going down was less than two hours. Oh, jeez. Which is insane. All on her and her girlfriend's one-year anniversary. That's so sad. Yeah. Literally going home to see her girlfriend, like, thinking it's going to be great. And then is murdered steps away from her home. So heartbreaking. Kitty was buried three days later and buried in Lakeview Cemetery in New Canaan, Connecticut. Following the incident, the coroner's report revealed that Kitty suffered 13 stab wounds and several other defensive wounds, indicating that she tried to fight back. Which, fuck yes, Kitty. You go queen. Which, like, fuck yes. She fought back. She's like, I am not going to let you kill me on me and my girlfriend's one-year anniversary. Yeah. I'm not about this. Oh, she had so much fight in her. She, oh, she deserved more. She's such a fucking badass. Homicide detectives began searching for her attacker and initially interviewed her girlfriend. What? I mean, okay, it makes sense. They quickly dismissed her, though. But they did grill her for six hours. That's unnecessary. About her relationship with Kitty. That's unnecessary. You know that it's just... the 60s. They just wanted to know details. They just wanted to get her on that. Yeah. Because it's the 60s. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just like, for six hours, it doesn't matter whether they were dating or not. Somebody close to her was just murdered. Yeah. Like... At their home. Let her grieve. Like, don't be... Ugh, drives me nuts. Yeah. Six days after the murder, Winston Mosley was arrested for suspected robbery in Ozone Park, Queens. After a television set was found in the trunk of his white Chevrolet Corvair. He's stupid. Yeah, I'm like, dude, you just did this. Fucking lay low. Yeah. 
And my biggest thing is all of the reports make a note of saying he made good money at his job. Uh-huh. I don't understand why you also then have to steal if you're making good money at your job. I think it's one of those impulsivity things. I don't understand. It drives me nuts. So detectives were just fucking on it because a detective remembered the same color car had been reported by witnesses at Kitty's murder. Oh, okay. So he's just like, hmm, interesting. Then during questioning, Mosley just admitted to murdering Kitty and two other women. Wow. He's not very bright, is he? No. Okay, so we'll get into it in a second. But let's talk about his other two victims first. Because while Kitty is the start of a lot of things happening in the U.S., which we'll get into later, I didn't know that he had these other two victims beforehand, and I've known this case for a while. Yeah. So let's cover the first two victims of Winston Mosley. Okay. First, we have Annie Mae Johnson, who was a 24-year-old housewife and mother who was murdered in her own home in South Ozone Park on February 29th, just 12 days before Kitty. Wow. Okay. So, we know that he has a comfort zone. Yeah, because Kitty was a... Kitty was 27, yeah. When she passed. So right around that same age. And the but same at area. their home. Yeah, same areas, which is interesting. Detectives actually didn't believe that he had actually committed this murder because the medical examiner thought she had been stabbed with an ice pick when he claimed to have shot her. Okay. But get this bullshit. They did a reexamination. And proved that the body had been shot repeatedly by a small caliber gun. I'm like, how do you fuck that up? Granted, I don't know anything medical about or anything about bodies, but I don't understand how you fuck that up. Yeah, no. uh, Bullet holes and ice pick stab wounds. Two different sizes. That's what I fucking thought, too. Like, even for a small caliber yeah. gun. Even for small caliber bullets. And I would no. think how they would enter the body would yeah. be different, too. Yeah, it is. I Yeah, I was fucking appalled. His second kill was Barbara Carlick, who was a 15-year-old murdered in her own bed. A child. Yeah. Wow. He had murdered Barbara with 18-year-old Alvin Mitchell. Mitchell's friend actually backed up the story because he played as the getaway driver in this. This murder happened July 20th, 1963, which would have been about one year before Kitty's murder. Wow. So essentially, he had murdered Barbara. Yeah. Took about... Less than a year, I'd say, because between July and then Annie Mae was in February of the next year. So let's see. August, September, October, November, December, January, February. Seven Seven months. months. Killed Barbara. Seven months later, kills Annie Mae. And And then then 12 12 days days later, later, he's kills Kitty. 
he's just needing that thrill over and over again. Yeah. So, again, I've known this case for a long time. I know a lot about this case, and never have I ever heard anyone call him a serial killer. But he is a serial killer. Yeah, 100%. He has a very similar victimology yep. in their homes or very near their homes and young women yep. in or around where his mom lived or worked. Yep. That That's a serial killer. Yeah. So I actually found one article that called him the 911 killer, which we'll see later why that ties in. But I was like, okay. So following his arrest and everything going on, he had subsequent psychiatric examinations. And all of these suggested that he was a necrophile. Ew. Yeah. Gross. Yeah, it's fun. That's no, that's it's, not fun. It's not, but um, <laughs> here we are. Mosley was found guilty of all three murders and sentenced to death on June 15th, 1964. However, his sentence was reduced later to 20 years to life. What? For murdering three women in their home. What? Yes. For being a serial killer, 20 years to life. You get the opportunity for parole. The fuck is that shit? Yeah. Clearly, Winston was not okay with this. In 1968, he actually escapes Attica Prison. What? During which he held hostages in Buffalo before being recaptured. What? Yeah. He got an additional 30 years onto his sentence. <laughs> okay. And just was, like, repeatedly denied parole. He ended up being denied parole 18 times. I mean, at least he's still in prison. During the period from 1984 to 1995, Mosley appeared before the state parole board six times in, what is that, 11 years? Uh-huh. It, and it gets worse every time. Oh, it's just bad. Because obviously, when you go in front of a parole board... You have to show a sense of remorse. Yeah. And guilt for your victims. Yeah. There's, you can't just go up and be like, nah, fuck them bitches and expect to be let out. Yeah, no. His appearances were bizarre at best. And he just constantly played the victim. Of course. He said things along the lines of... For a victim outside, it's a one-time or one-hour or one-minute affair, but for the person who is caught, it's forever. Ew. Excuse me? What? Did you just say, oh my god, it's so much better that they got to die because now I have to live in prison. Oh my god. To a parole board? And you thought that was going to work, sweet baby cakes? Honey, you committed the crime. Oh, well, I only killed them for a minute, and now they're dead for the rest of their life. Yeah. What do you mean? It's not like, oh, it's fine. You know, I just took someone's life. I killed them once, they'll regenerate. This is not a video (laughs) game, sweet baby angel cakes. Oh, God. You dumb little fuckwit. Wow. He also added, because... 
why not add on to that little delightful nonsense? Of course. People do kill people when they mug them sometimes. What? What? What does that have to do with this? And again, everywhere I read says his job was well paying. Yeah. He was not hurting for money. He Why do you need liked, to bring mugging into this to begin with? He just liked to do it. He was a violent person. It, yeah, it's honestly just like, oh, well, I need an excuse to hurt people. That's, oh, God, no. Wild. Fucking wild. At another parole hearing, Mosley claimed he had written a letter to Genevieve's family to, quote, unquote, apologize for the inconvenience i caused the inconvenience you mean the inconvenience that they don't get to see that wonderful bright amazing human being grow into an even better person the inconvenience of murdering their child yeah what the inconvenience of taking somebody's person away from them like what do you mean that oh my god that's probably the wildest excuse or quote-unquote apology I've ever heard. The worst part? Kitty's family strongly denies that they ever received any sort of communication, nor do they want to have one from him. I mean, I don't blame them. But again, just sociopath behavior that he learned from his mom. Yeah. Insane. Winston Mosley died in prison on March 28th, 2016. Oh, wow. Not that long ago. At 81 years old. Wow. It's insane. I just... (sighs) The fact that, again, heard a lot about this case, didn't know he was essentially a serial killer. Yeah. But I think more people also need to talk about his other victims as well, like... Kitty's a big case because we're going to go on to talk about the bystander effect, which is referenced in talks to her case. But his other two victims are just as important. Absolutely, they are. So like I just said, Kitty's case is talked about a lot when talking about the bystander effect, which Jenny and I have a weird fascination for psychology. (laughs) And so as soon as we started talking about doing the podcast, I'm like, we're going to do Kitty. We're doing the bystander effect. So for those of you who are less nerdy about psychology than we are, the bystander effect is a psychological phenomenon where individuals are less likely to offer help in the presence of others. So in other words, the assumption is uh, somebody else will get it. Yeah. Somebody else is already already called. Now we're again. Don't worry. I don't have to worry about it. I don't need to get involved. Someone else is already doing it. So why bother? So this is often cited for the rationale why no one came to aid Kitty while she was in the street front. Because if somebody had just gone down there, Winston wouldn't have come back the second time because he's a sad little pussy boy. Yeah. And would have been too scared. They probably could have helped her get into the apartment and gotten help from there. Yeah, and safe. It's, yeah. It was initially reported that 38 of the neighbors were awakened by Kitty's screams. However, it was later found out that only a dozen neighbors actually witnessed the murder. Interesting. Okay. It's... 
the biggest thing is the media was trying to make it out to be bigger than what it was. Yeah, of course, as they do. It's, yeah, so that's where we get the 38 that everyone always talks about. And there is a really good documentary out where it's essentially Kitty's brother trying to go and find answers. Uh Uh-huh. And police had 38 interviews Uh with neighbors, which I think is where that 38 number comes from. Yeah. But again, only about a dozen people actually witnessed something happening on the street in general, like seeing a scuffle in any part. Yeah. And I can tell you that eyewitnesses are actually really unreliable also. Um, which a lot of people don't realize that trying to see someone or when something like that is happening so fast, you actually don't capture a lot of memories. Well, and for the time and area too, I think a lot of the assumption was just, it was a dispute between couple or something going on and no one wanted to get involved. Two people had actually called the police, but none went to go help Kitty after the attacker left. Wow. Okay. The bystander effect actually has a five-step decision-making process for when somebody is intervening in an emergency situation. Okay. So number one is just to notice something is wrong. Like, hey, that's a little sus. Just a little bit. You know, that's a little sus. And then you move on to step two, which is to define if a situation is an emergency and then how much of an emergency it is. Okay. So if your head goes, hmm, that's sus, that's not good, but it's but, fine. Yeah. Or if it's like, hmm, maybe I should do something. And then step three is to decide whether you are personally responsible to act. Okay. Then four is choose how to help, and five is implement the choosing the choosing helping behavior. So okay. if you get to step two and you're like, that's eh, not an emergency, you're, you're done. done. You're not going to do anything else. And then you are a bystander. So there was a study done in the 1970s. Essentially, students were asked to spare a dime uh-huh. in one instance. And then in another instance, they just flat out asked to spare a dime. Uh-huh. In another instance, they were asked to spare a dime, but then told the condition of, oh, because my wallet was stolen. Yeah. Only 34% of people who were simply asked to give a dime did so. Okay. But 72% of people did when the explanation of the wallet was stolen was given. So, like, we were talking earlier with you just get used to the noises going on around you. Yeah. We also have to remember the area that Kitty was living in. This is true. This area was full of immigrants, a lot of whom had been in concentration camps. Okay. So these people just kept their head down. They didn't want to get involved in things. 
Yeah. They were put in a situation for a really long time where they were just told to keep your head down, mind your own business. And so that's what they continued to do when they were free of that. The other issue with this bystander effect is that it is said that more people tried to call police. But this is during the time when there wasn't a 911. You had to call the operator. The operator would connect you to the police station and then you could call about your emergency. That's so wild to me. It's insane that you couldn't just be like, hey, there's an emergency and call that. You had to be like, hello, operator, there's an emergency. Please connect me to the police departments. What year is this again? This is 1960s. So essentially, like, my mom's older than 911. Yeah. That's wild. So it's reported that more neighbors had tried to call the police about this going on. But the operators were told, oh, the police have already been told about it. Oh, okay. Not realizing that multiple people are calling in, making it a bigger, like, escalating the situation. Yeah. Because the operator's like, oh, no, they've already been told. Yeah. So they're not getting, like, the emergency of it. Yeah. But they also can't bog down the lines. That's true. So if they know this has already been called in, they can't bog down the line in case there's another emergency that comes in because there's only one. That's not how the wire system works. Yeah, I mean, that's true, too. But I don't know. I'm just glad that something was done in response to something like this. Yeah. So nice, nice segue, because in 1968... The U.S. adopted the 911 system, which then replaced the having to call the operator. And this saves so much time when getting to an emergency. It causes delay. It co- or no, it doesn't cause delay. It, oh, it takes away delay and confusion and just all of that other stuff that goes into having an extra person in the way of getting to emergency services. Yeah, it's actually emergent. One other thing that came from Kitty's murder is the Good Samaritan laws. So these laws are actually to protect those people who call in if they see something. The whole see something, say something idea comes with these good samaritan laws i have my own issues with the good samaritan laws but okay but i mean for something like this when it's like you can have the confidence to call in and say something yeah so in case you don't know good samaritan laws protect individuals who act in good faith to provide emergency care so if again see something say something jump in to help and you will not be in trouble for doing so yeah and that's all i have so that was the murder of kitty genovese annie mae johnson and barbara carlick wow yeah the fact that he is a whole ass serial killer yeah and i can't find anyone saying it enough the fact that like yeah this story was actually told to me originally in college Mm-hmm. In my undergrad. Um, and the fact that I had no idea that he was tied to two other murders. 
I just wonder how many he would have done if he hadn't been caught. If he hadn't been caught for the burglary. If he hadn't been caught for the burglary. Yeah. And then just folded so easily. Yeah. I mean. It's insane. It's good that he got caught when he did so that way no one else would die. But the fact that, like, you know he would continue. Oh, yeah. Well, we've seen so many serial killers where they are caught and then just let go. Yeah. And then go on to continuously murder. So I could only imagine if he had been given the reduced sentence, didn't try to break out of jail. Yeah. Actually could play remorse with his parole and got out what he would have done. Yeah. Scary to think of. Insane. All right, Jesse, you ready? <laughs> Fine, go on. All right. So for this one, we actually need a little bit of an anatomy lesson. I hate that. Well, too bad. Uh, so there's something in your body called enzymes. I've heard of them. Yes. What Do you know what they do? No. Okay. They break <laughs> down things, essentially. Okay. Okay. And the most common one you'll hear is like liver enzymes Mm. because your liver is what helps break down a lot of substances, especially alcohol. Enzymey. Okay. Yeah. So like I said, these, these enzymes just eat things. Okay. Okay. Uh, when you die, there are enzymes that essentially eat you from the inside out. Yeah, that's enough out of you. <laughs> take your gross fact book away. <laughs> I hate that. I love freaking you out with science. Mm, thank you. Um, Yeah. If you like whatever the fuck this is, <laughs> be sure to head over to our Instagram. Our Instagram is WTF is that pod. Over there, you'll find the link to our link tree, which has our Spotify our Patreon, our Campfire Stories, and all of those other goodies. Just remember the very best way to help us grow is by word of mouth. And with that, don't be a serial killer. Yeah, don't do that. Bye. Bye.